Talk Radio 191 FM podcast. But right now I'm joined by uh, Moira White, uh, for a curator of humanities at the Otago Museum, and uh, Stella Large, a Polytech uh, School of Design uh, lecturer. I, I, I assume, can I say lecturer? You can say lecturer, but I'd rather you said Stella Lang. Lang, oh sorry, sorry. apologies. <laughs> Wow, we've started off really well this morning, ladies. Well, Morena to you both. Thank you for coming in this morning. Morena. Morena. Uh, you've both been on a work trip to Nelson as of late. We'll call it, can we call it a work trip? Uh, a trip. To present at the Costume and Textile Association of New Zealand 2019 Symposium, uh, where you delivered a paper uh, it co-presented a paper uh, that offered a descriptive overview of the Otago Museum's collection of women's hosiery. Um... Well, first, what is the Costume and Textiles Association of New Zealand? What, what is this organisation? It's a group of um, adults who are interested in textiles and costume, and we mean costume in terms of dress, not yes. necessarily dressing up. Yeah. Um, it's a really interesting collection of people because you've got people who are academics like myself, you've got people who come from a museum background like Moira, but you've also got artists and you've got curators of private galleries and then you've got people who teach in the school system and people who are just do completely other things but this is their passion and they're interested. Yeah, and what's the difference between costume and dress? I think historically not a lot of difference but in contemporary use costume tends to mean dressing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, if I think of costume in terms of dressing, uh, normally I think of, um, you know, Queen Elizabeth I, you know, and what she would mm. wore would, might have been considered <laughs> as costume. And it very much was chosen with an audience in mind. And yeah. to be honest, every single one of us think about who's going to be looking when we get dressed in the morning. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. at some level, we're all costuming ourselves. Yes, oh, oh, without <laughs> doubt, without doubt. Interestingly enough, uh, Elizabeth I was, the, uh, was presented with the first pair of knitted silk stockings. Yes, she was. It was a promotional move for the local industry, I mm. understand. Mm -hmm. Apparently she uh, wouldn't take them off. <laughs> um, it's, and, and with that, hosiery has a very long history, doesn't it, Moira? Um, you know, uh, going back to um, um, the time of the Egyptian pharaohs. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, it's, it's something that, I guess, um, is worn for different reasons now. Yep, cold feet and good-looking legs yep. are constant concerns. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. I mean, for the most part, it was uh, about keeping warm uh, back in the day, but now uh, it's taken a different life of, of its own, and it's very much a fashionable thing. Depending on your income level, to some extent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what kind of collection do we have at the museum? It's built up from donations, which is wonderful. That mm -hmm. means that the coverage is sometimes a bit patchy. Our first examples would be late 19th century. There's a wonderful gift from the Otago Women's Club. We have some fantastically expensive embroidered mm. stockings. We have some very average bought in the supermarket first packs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but it touches on a lot of the developments that occurred in that area through a few decades. And there were a lot of developments, and not just in the technology used um, to make um, stockings, um, you know, with nylon coming in in the, you know, the 1930s, but also uh, in terms of packaging. Uh, and design of packaging as well, isn't that right? Yes, yeah, there was a whole lot of developments in packaging. Um, so the earliest ones that we've got, Moira's got in the collection with packets come in boxes or cellophane. Mm -hmm. And when I did a little bit more research on that, it seems like that was a price point thing. 
yeah. that boxes were more luxury expensive and cellophane was, um, you could see what you were getting and you knew no one had tampered with it because these things ladder like crazy. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. <laughs> there was a bit of complaints about maybe they were pre-worn and put back in the box. Yeah. <laughs> and they, yeah, I guess uh, earlier examples would have laddered really, really bad. I mean, it, it's bad enough now. I think, yeah, the, when I looked at, because my role was looking at um, literature contemporary to that, mostly advertisements, mm-hmm. more I looked at some early advertisements, um, laddering and not laddering were a really big feature that advertisements told people about. Yeah, ours will not ladder. Yes, will not run, run resistant. Yeah, um, but were they? I don't know, but <laughs> even some of the brands like Holeproof, you know, they, they branded them. Yeah. And we still have Holeproof today, and we found Holeproof going back to the 1900s. Wow. Wow, it's amazing. Mm. Um, uh, and so you've got some also, have you got anything from Māori um, in your collection? We don't have any of the gaiters that you might have heard about. Yeah. Uh, we have sandals, uh, mm-hmm. rai-rai, but yeah, because when we that talk wasn't part of this study. Because when we talk about hosiery as well, I mean, a lot of it, um, when but like I said before, it's, a lot of it was about keeping warm, so it wasn't necessarily about um, having sheer um, nylon tights. It was about having animal skin or, or um, animal fur as well, wasn't it? Not in our collection. Not in your collection, <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, so um, what are some of the other things that were discussed at the symposium? There were a number of sessions by practitioners, people who'd made a business, made their living through working in the textile area, and that was quite challenging for some of them. Fantastic 19th century loom that's still operating near Omaru, one of only five in the world, they think, that was still functioning. Stitch Kitchen, a local group presented um, with that kind of social activist uh, response. Yes, and there was um, quite a few artisans talking about their practice. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of them were talking about how sustainability was now influencing very much of what they were doing and finished on a really strong session that was around um, Maori cloaks but not always um, made by Maori, which I thought was really fantastic. Mm, interesting. So, I mean, when it comes to the artisans and, and uh, sustainability, are we moving away from the petroleum-based materials and into, um, you know, the cotton again and, and other things? Um, well, one of the... I wish I had the programme here to look at. One of the people was crocheting or knitting teddy bears out of plastic, and there was quite a bit of discussion from the audience because they were for an outdoor exhibition, mm-hmm. whether this was a really good thing to do given microplastics. Um, but she thought about that and was um, not exposing them to the weather for too long. Yeah. Um, and there were others that were talking about sustainability in terms of community engagement, yeah. um, about integrating um, people who are new to New Zealand into a community who maybe have a different cultural background. Yeah, so is there still quite a um, hosiery industry in Aotearoa? As far as I'm aware, there's um, Columbine. They're still... They're still making here? They're still branded here. Yeah. Whether all of their products are made here, we haven't been able to find out. Oh, it's a bit like... Family A bit like world, is it? I don't think so. um, They seem like a a bunch of good people. They're located up near Gisborne. They sell a lot into the Australian Mm. market. I Mm -hmm. think they're um, 
looking, they do overseas trips regularly. Um, they're selling in the mm. Chinese market as well. well. Yeah. The reason I said um, made in New Zealand is I'm aware that we only have part of our textile industry here. Yeah. Like often um, our fibres aren't necessarily made, but the products are. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. so and with my fashion academic head on, I'm thinking made in New Zealand, trace <laughs> it back to complete raw materials, but I, I doubt there's any manufacturer in New Zealand who is tracing right back to raw materials. Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, yeah, you'd be you'd be hard pressed mm. these days, wouldn't you? Um, long gone are the days when my mum was a seamstress in Dunedin making mm. stuff that was completely New Zealand made. Um, so, is there much interest in the collection at the museum? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but we are perhaps the first people who put a, a strong focus on the hosiery. Uh, yeah, recently. Yeah, and, and what fascinates people about it, and, and you know, and and, um, and what brings people to to these kinds of collections? An interest in fashion history, an interest in social history. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stories that aren't necessarily all about hosiery. Um, uh, one of Stella's research interests is in sewing techniques and repair. So. Uh, someone like Stella for example might look at them and see how well or poorly they've been darned Uh, we can trace um, issues about repair um, not just repair but care Um, lots of newspaper advertisements and magazine articles about how to wash things so the dyes don't fade about whether or not your stocking is um, made in a fully fashioned it was called so that's stitch to hold the shape rather than sort of press to hold the shape and then suddenly it vanishes and you've got baggy ankles for the rest of its life after the first wash they're interesting as display items sometimes, interactions with overseas and the personal stories that people bring to them. Mm-hmm. Well, um, have, has the, we talked a little bit about packaging before, but when it comes to newspaper adver, uh, advertising and, and other type of advertising, what, what are the kind of, the, have there been trends through the years that have changed and um, I guess with um, the needs? I'd like to jump in here because I, I looked at the New Zealand Women's Weekly yeah. as a sort of a, a very ubiquitous women's magazine that was available to most households if they wanted to buy it. Um, and I noticed, so pantyhose were officially invented in I think 1953, but mm-hmm. I didn't find any adverts for pantyhose in the Women's Weekly until 1969, 1970. And what I discovered with those adverts was all of a sudden the woman's body was nude. Ah. Um, whereas previous adverts for hosiery had been very much clothed, yeah. sort of dancing in a ball dress or legs, or maybe they were admiring the pantyhose as they draped them over their hands. But with, with so the stockings only came up partway up your leg. As soon as we get to pantyhose, all of a sudden all the packaging's got nude women on the front of it, which I just it was hard not to notice. Yes. <laughs> so w- w- I guess with the coming of the the sixties and the sexual revolution that changed as well. I think there were all sorts of things happening and the way women were being portrayed suddenly changed. Yeah. Whether yeah. that was good or bad, completely up for debate. What about modern examples? Have you got many modern examples in the collection? Like nowadays, are you collecting still? Uh, we do, selectively. Yeah, yeah, of course. Still, of course. Um, and we're very grateful to all the donors of our collection. We're less well represented at the most recent end, probably quite 
good coverage of trends and fashions until the 1980s, not mm-hmm. so many after that. Oh, no, I guess that will change as the years go on and the, the 90s will become more significant. That's because that's what true, I'm true. Right, right? things become older, <laughs> so they're more affordable, I guess. Um, yeah, because, I, mean, I mean, can you still get good cheap high quality stuff or you know because uh, my partner gets most of her stuff from the supermarket these days and that was a really big shift in pantyhose advertising in the yeah. 1970s led by i don't know if you remember them i definitely do legs pantyhose they came in a little plastic egg no and they were apparently a big marketing push um the manufacturers of legs realized that women were buying them at the supermarket not the department store yeah and in the supermarket they were going on price not necessarily branding and marketing messages so they wanted to distinguish their product from everyone else's even in the 70s even that was in the happening. 70s they hit it with a really big tv advert, advert campaign which oh. you can look at youtube videos they're seriously disturbing <laughs> so i would have thought people would still be going to the dic and in, in places like that at the time i think um maybe for special occasions for yep. something nicer yeah people probably did but they became a supermarket item and at that point the advertising in the magazine seems to have completely dropped off which again went with wider adoption of colour TV and things like that. So I mean I so I guess mass production was a big thing back then even as well. Oh totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we what we found was that some of the brands in the collection from the early 1900s were not made in New Zealand. There was a thriving import industry around hosiery. Oh wow. From yeah. both America and Europe or UK? Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you get specialist hosiery stores, but the flasher department stores and small businesses in Tokamariro or something who are stocking the yeah. products that their local population needs. Well, when, when, when did New Zealand start really making them in a big way? What was, you know, what was the industry like here, well, say, in the 1920s? One of the things that started this was the call for papers said that there was a, a hosiery mill in... Nelson in the 1870s, or I can't remember off the top of my head, and that was part of the discussion about we'll maybe follow up on that. That's quite early. It is really early. We didn't find out any, we, our d- research took another direction into the museum collection and looking at what it held. Yeah, yeah. There are a few photographs of the inside of the hosiery mills um, in, in Otago. They yeah. look hellish <laughs> fantastically busy loud places yeah. one imagines yeah. and the machinery is amazingly intricate and mm. precisely designed yeah that's amazing because you know machines break down all the time now and those things are so much more intricate how do they just they just but they just keep going and going and going and going what the, mm. you know the things they manufactured back then were um, in terms of machinery amazing Amazing machines. Um, well, fantastic. And um, so how often do you have, um, you know, I mean, I guess there's things on show all the time at the museum. And do you, um, you, do you circulate different things into the collection that is on show? We do try and rotate the textile items, primarily for conservation reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, we're also working towards a master plan, which will have a schedule for larger gallery refurbishments. Oh, fantastic. So I, I guess some of the older, older products are susceptible to the light and whatnot. But Light's a big issue. UV, yeah. um, more particularly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, brilliant. Well, thank you both for coming in this morning. Sounds very interesting. And um, now, Stella, you're taking on a role at the um, Costume and Textile Association? Yes. So the current president 
and co-president step of president and vice president stepped down mm-hmm. and Dr Natalie Smith and myself had a chat about it and we decided that we'd put ourselves forward to be co-presidents for the next three years Nice. and we were voted in. So the next symposium may be here in Otipote? The next one will be in Auckland. Yeah. The um, exiting president felt that because she now had time yeah. <laughs> she would like to host it in Auckland but we had it in Dunedin last year oh, okay. and it yep. was really well attended. Oh fantastic, yeah. fantastic. Um, do you have many young people coming through? Um, a few, not as many as we would like. Like most organisations we'd desperately like to um, share what we have and what we do with a wider group of people. Yeah. And we're always looking for that wider group of people. Well, there you go. If you're one of those wider group of people, because textiles is becoming a really big thing again um, with with the younger people. You probably see that through uh, fashion school. Absolutely. Yeah, yes. It really, really is. Um, and I guess this might be a step for people that want to learn a bit more about the history of things and also um, how uh, the organisation moved forward. And there's a website for um, for the. There's a website, there's um, uh, a journal that's published twice a year, it's full colour, it's got lots of cool articles that come out of the symposiums and other places. Awesome, awesome. So um, just look up uh, Costume and Textiles Mm -hmm. Association of New Zealand online and you'll be able to find the website for that uh, and go to the museum and check out uh, the collection on show. Well thank you both for coming in, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, Thank you, thank you. You're more than welcome, it is now. This was a Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.